Welcome. Well, it is the first Sunday in Advent, so Merry Christmas. I can see Christmas jumpers are appearing, one there. There's uh, Steve on the keys was wearing a Christmas jumper, a few others around. Uh, Christmas trees will be magically appearing this coming week on Tuesday. Christmas decorations are going up in the building, so all things Christmassy. And as we are rushing towards that, and as a couple of weeks' time will be, two weeks' time will be in our international carol service, we are finishing... God willing, next week, the series in John, which we've been in since May. And this morning, we're in John chapter 20, which wonderfully is the story of the resurrection. I've been looking forward to preaching this chapter, the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what a great theme to start Advent with, that uh, we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning. And what, what a great theme for any Sunday. What a great theme for this Sunday. And this is a Sunday story. It happens as it says, first verse of John chapter 20, early on the first day of the week. This is a Sunday story, and it's important to note that. It's important to hold on to this Sunday, the first day of the week. Monday is not the first day of the week. Sunday is the first day of the week. And that's important, not just as a thing to note from tradition or whatever, but it shapes your whole outlook on life. If, for you, Monday starts is the start of the week, that means that your life is shaped by labor, by materialism, in effect by Pharaoh, that we're held captive by the powers of the world. So you're, it's just about making bricks and doing the stuff. If, you, if we're shaped by Monday, if Monday starts our week, we're held captive, held in slavery to the things of the world. Monday is not the first day of the week, Sunday is the first day of the week, and Sunday is Resurrection Day. And that changes everything. If you start the week in resurrection, that's very different from starting in Egypt under the heel of Pharaoh. We don't start in Egypt under the heel of Pharaoh, we start the week looking at the empty tomb of Christ and all the resurrection means for us. So this story starts early on the first day of the week. Let's be Sunday people not Monday people. We get to Monday, we deal with Monday because we are Sunday people. If you're not a Sunday person, Monday is really difficult. But if you're a Sunday person, a resurrection person, well, you can handle whatever Monday throws at you. So let's celebrate Sunday as we read the story. Let's celebrate Advent. That might be one of the most profound theological things you ever hear. You need to go and think about that. It's really, it's really important. It's really important. How you start shapes everything. Where you begin starts everything. So today, as we begin the 49th week of 2023, only three weeks to go until we start a new year, and as we start Advent, let's start it focused on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this is important. It's really important. The resurrection is so important. We need to think about why the resurrection is important. Let me put it like this. If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, nothing else really matters. Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, nothing else really matters. Because if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, there's no hope for us. There's no resurrection for us. And that means that all our efforts, all our labors, in the end, simply are dust. Everything you do, everything you achieve, everything you work for, everything you live for, in the end, just crumbles and dies. If there is no resurrection, we are all just Monday people. It's just laboring while we are here, and then we die, and it's dust. And that is it. Jesus is not raised from the dead, nothing else in the end, ultimately Nothing else matters. But if Jesus has been raised from the dead, then everything else really matters. Because there is this hope of what is now dust being transformed into what is glorious. 
and that changes everything. So the resurrection, absolutely essential for us. Let's enter into this story and see the power and the promise of resurrection. And I've, I've called this message The Turn because we see in this story how everything turns on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're going to pick it up at verse 11 of John chapter 20, page 1089 in these Bibles, and we start with seeing how Mary turns. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, I think this is probably the most poignant encounter in Scripture. We've got Mary, who loves Jesus, and she thinks it's all over. She thinks it's all over because she thinks Jesus is dead, and she comes to the tomb, and Jesus' body isn't there, and she's in confusion and grief. And at this moment, nothing else really matters. All that matters to her is Jesus and what's happened to him and the grief she is carrying. And Mary's grief means that she doesn't notice things that normally would matter. So I don't know if you noticed it as I read the story, but... There are two angels, it tells us, sitting in the grave. And you might think that would get Mary's attention. If you turned up at a graveyard and there were two angels there, you might notice. Uh, I heard uh, that this week, uh, Liam, our excellent drummer this morning, did a staff performance as an angel at a school assembly. Is that right, Liam? <laughs> And I heard he got a lot of attention because suddenly on the platform at St. Edward's School, Liam appears as an angel and uh, everybody noticed. Everybody noticed Liam, the angelic visitation. <laughs> Your fame is spreading far and wide. Now, when Mary got to the tomb, it wasn't, even, it wasn't Liam, which is wonderful enough in itself, but there were two actual angels in the tomb. And Mary is so overwhelmed by her grief, she doesn't even seem to notice the fact that there are angels there. She's too grief-stricken even to think about it. And, and one of the interesting things about this is that this is the only place in the Gospel of John where angels appear. Nowhere else in John's Gospel do angels appear. And that's a bit different from some of the other Gospels, particularly the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, which are full of angelic appearances. And... Um, of course, these angelic appearances feature prominently in the Christmas story. Over the next few weeks, we'll be reading the Christmas story in different settings in our services, reading from Matthew and Luke, reading about the appearance of the angels. Angels appear to Mary and Joseph, telling them what's going to happen. Angels appear to the shepherds. Angels announce the coming of the Savior. In the Gospel of John, angels only appear, in John's account, at the empty tomb of Christ, and Mary doesn't even notice. 
And that's because there's something bigger, there's something more important going on here, even than the appearance of angels. Now, the Bible commentator F.D. Brunner, who I've quoted a lot during this, uh, during this series, has written such a helpful commentary on the Gospel of John. He says this, listen to this. She, Mary, turned around. In the one or two seconds this turn took, I imagine the world shifting ever so slightly on its axis, and at about this turn's one second midpoint trajectory, history too moved almost imperceptibly from BC to AD. Wow. A second before this turn, there is a woman in the deepest human despair in the agonizing presence of inconquerable death. A second after the beginning of this turn, there is a woman in the deepest possible human elation, in the presence of the death-conquering central figure of history. Yes. The rush that must have come over this woman in her two-second turn is unimaginable. She is the first person ever to experience the personal presence of the risen Lord. When she turned to him at this moment, human history took a turn to a responsible hope for the vincibility of death and so to the conquest of meaninglessness. Wow. If I wrote a paragraph like that, I would put my feet up, sit down, say, that's it. (laughs) It's never going to get any better. That's the pinnacle. That's the peak. That is the most extraordinary paragraph probably I've ever read. Absolutely remarkable because it describes the most remarkable thing that ever happened. Well done, Frederick Brunner. Extraordinary. As Mary turns, human history turns. Now try to imagine that moment. Now sometimes we go through moments that are transformative, where our worlds shift. Happens as a little child, that moment when a child learns to walk. That's the before and after moment. Complete transformation. Now able to walk. The, The next big moment in childhood development is when you learn to ride a bike. And suddenly the boundaries of your world expand because you can go further and faster than you ever could have imagined just walking. And maybe it's when you get your first job or more likely when you get your first paycheck. Everything suddenly changes. The world suddenly feels different. Or maybe getting married as a before marriage and a married moment and everything shifts or becoming a parent for the first time. There's these moments which we experience in life where we can say, well, it was different before, it's different now. Something happened, it was transforming. At Mary's turn, everything turns. Look at that last sentence in that paragraph again, in that quote. When she turned to him at this moment, human history took a turn to a responsible hope for the vincibility of death and so to the conquest of meaninglessness. That's a very scholarly way of describing it, but think of the wonder. It is now responsible to hope that death is not the end. That's the responsible thing to believe. Death is no longer invincible. Death is vincible. Death has been vinced (laughs) because of the resurrection of Jesus. I never even thought about that before. That's actually vinced. What a brilliant name. It's about being invincible. You vince something. Death has been vinced. And meaninglessness has been conquered. Because now it's not just returning to dust, but there's a hope of life. Now that's a message for our times. 
That's a message for all times. The teacher, the book of Ecclesiastes, Old Testament says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And that is absolutely true if there is no hope of resurrection, because no matter what we achieve, what we get done, what we get built, it is dust in the end. It is meaningless, except unless there is a turn and resurrection happens. This is what we celebrate. This is what we celebrate this Sunday. This is what we celebrate this Advent. This is what we celebrate as we start this 49th week of 2023. Jesus has turned it all around. Mary has turned. History has turned. And next we just see the disciples turning. Verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus appears to his disciples. Things have changed. Uh, Jesus is no longer bounded by walls and locked doors. It says the doors were locked, but Jesus appears amongst them. He's, but he's not a ghost. He shows them his wounds. And it's really important to see that we're talking about resurrection, not apparition. That Jesus is not a ghost. Jesus is a real physical body. And it's so important for us to understand that when we think about resurrection. That resurrection isn't something airy-fairy and just spiritual, but resurrection is a physical deal. Jesus is raised physically. He's no longer bounded by the laws of physics in the same way he can appear in a room with locked doors, but he is a physical man with the wounds of the cross still on him. Resurrection, not apparition. And he speaks peace to them. Shalom, that beautiful Hebrew word, the word which encompasses so much more than just a simple little five, six-letter word, shalom, peace, everything made right. That word speaks of it. When we experience the shalom of God, it's coming into things being complete and harmonious and everything working, standing in peace with God and with one another and with the world in which we live. Shalom, peace to you, Jesus speaks to them. That's an important word. It's a very important Bible word. Of course, it's an important word in the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus was born in Luke's account at the birth of Jesus. When the angels appear, what they proclaim is peace. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so in Christ's advent and now in his resurrection, we see Jesus the shalom, the peace bringer. He turns his people to peace with God. And that might be the message that you most need to hear this morning. You might come in not feeling peaceful. You might come in feeling troubled this morning. And the message that you need to hear is from Jesus, Shalom. Peace. Lord, would you minister your peace this morning to those who, want, who need to receive it? When we come and take communion and when we have opportunities for praying one another for one another in a moment, if you need to know the peace of Jesus, 
step forward and receive his peace again. And what Jesus then does and says to the, with his disciples is profound. He, he breathes the Spirit on them and then he commissions them. And there's lots of scholarly debate about exactly what is happening when Jesus breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Because we know that the Holy Spirit was poured out in full measure on the day of Pentecost, a few weeks after these events. That was the moment when the Spirit came upon the disciples, appeared like flames of fire when they were empowered in a new way, started speaking in other languages, went out into the streets of Jerusalem, proclaimed the gospel, thousands responded to the message of Jesus Christ. That's the day of Pentecost. That happens some weeks later. So what is happening now is Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. It seems that this is a, a foretelling of what they are going to step into, what they're going to experience, and what is meant to be the experience of all disciples in all ages. The point is that disciples need to know the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Disciples need to know God's empowering presence. And it might be this morning that what you need to know most is the empowering of God's presence. You might need to receive the Holy Spirit. You might need to know a sense of Jesus breathing on you and saying, receive the Holy Spirit so you can be empowered for the ministry to which he calls us as his disciples. So again, as we come to communion, as we make space to pray for one another in a few moments, if you know you need to receive the Holy Spirit, step forward, step towards Jesus and receive the Spirit from him. And then Jesus commissions his disciples because the disciples are not going to stay in this locked upper room. They're not going to stay in the locked upper room they're in on the day of Pentecost. When the Spirit comes, they're going to go out. They're going to go out carrying the power of God's forgiveness. Whoever you forgive is forgiven. The commission that Jesus gives them. Here's not how uh, Frederick Bruner puts this, but this is a sentence I wrote, which I think is pretty good. <laughs> not quite the same league, but nonetheless. When disciples go out with a message of peace in the resurrected Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, there is a turning to God that results in forgiveness. That's what we see Jesus doing with his disciples in this story. That's, it's worth reading again. When, even if I say so myself. <laughs> when disciples go out with the message of peace in the resurrected Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, there's a turning to God that results in forgiveness. That's what Christmas and Easter and every Sunday and every second of the day is all about for us. <laughs> Going out. Going out empowered by the Holy Spirit. The message of peace given to us by the resurrected of Christ. Commissioned to carry Christ's forgiveness to the world. Wow. This also gives us a roadmap, a pattern for what our Sunday gatherings should look like. It is good to gather on Resurrection Day. It's good to gather on Sunday. We don't have to only gather on Sunday. And there are contexts in the world where, for example, in lots of Islamic countries, it's easier, safer for believers to gather on Fridays. But it's good to gather on Sundays. That's what Christians have always done. It's why these believers gathered on the first day of the week. It's Resurrection Day. You see that throughout the New Testament. It's good to gather on a Sunday, and as we gather, what we're meant to do in our meetings, we get, a, we get a pattern of that from what happens in this encounter, that we stand, as, as we gather together, we turn towards Christ, who stands amongst us. Jesus is here with us. 
and we experience the peace of God as we gather in his name, and we receive the Holy Spirit as we gather together, but we don't then stay, stay here. No, at the end of the meeting, we're sent out with good news for the world. That's what we need to be doing every Sunday. That's what our gatherings are about. That's why we do what we're doing this morning, to stand in the presence of Christ, to think about the reality of his resurrection, to receive his peace, to know the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit at work amongst us, and then to have our commission renewed to go out into the world with a message of forgiveness. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we're here every Sunday. So the disciples turn, and then thirdly, Thomas turns. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, or the twin, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. To the stubbornness of that statement. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. On that first resurrection Sunday, Thomas misses the meeting. That's not good. Some meetings are more important than other meetings. Some meetings you really do not want to miss. Uh, Brunner again, last quote from him. He says, leaders in the church should show up at the gathered meetings of the people of God. This is at first surely the single most inopportunely, inopportunely or perhaps even irresponsibly missed meeting in church history. <laughs> Thomas, where were you? You should have been there. You're meant to be there, and you miss it. You miss the moment that the resurrected Christ appears in the room. Oh, my gosh. Why did Thomas miss that first meeting? Why did he miss it? Was it that he was, was he intentionally trying to just avoid being with the other disciples? Was it that the whole horror of that weekend of those days, the crucifixion of Christ and all that was going on, did that mean he just didn't want to be near the other disciples? Perhaps he had some other commitments he wanted to get to. Perhaps he had something really important to take the kids to. Didn't show up. Now, obviously I'm meant to be a leader in this context, and I, I don't like to miss the meetings. So I'm away quite a lot. I'm usually away one Sunday and four in other churches. But I don't like to miss the meetings here because I never know what I might miss. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows in what way Jesus is going to appear in this meeting? And so when I'm away, I always want to know what happened in the meeting. What did I miss? How did it go? Don't want to miss the meetings. 
because this is where God meets with us. And we see the Lord's incredible grace to Thomas here because Thomas misses the meeting, this most important of all meetings. But next Sunday comes, a week later, the next Sunday. And this time Thomas is there. And once more, so is Jesus. And we see Thomas, the twin, turning. And in this story, it's a bit like he himself, that he represents the twin, the two sides of Thomas. And he turns from being one person, the verse 25 person, I will not believe, I will not believe. And he turns to another, being another person, the verse 28 person, on his knees proclaiming, my Lord and my God. And of course, that statement of Thomas is so very important for us in understanding who Jesus is. This is such a crucial verse. It's one of those verses that you always get to when talking with Jehovah's Witnesses who don't see the full deity of Christ. That Thomas proclaims, Jesus, my Lord and my God. He knows who Jesus is. He recognizes Jesus as Lord, as God. And anywhere else in the Bible where somebody misapplies that terminology, it happens when angels appear. Mary didn't even notice the angels. But usually when angels appear, people notice, and often they fall on their faces because they think they're seeing God. And the angels say, don't worship me. Worship the Lord. Jesus here doesn't rebuke Thomas for calling him my Lord and my God, but approves Thomas for saying that. Such an important verse for us seeing the deity of Christ. Jesus, fully God and fully man. Thomas turns from being one person to another. And you know, people are still making that turn today. There are those who are still turning, like Thomas did. Most of us in, the, in this room have made that turn. We've turned towards Jesus. We've said, my Lord and my God. There are those who haven't seen in the way that Thomas did and yet have believed. Thomas, blessed are you. But blessed are those who haven't seen and yet have believed. There are skeptics like Thomas still. And there are skeptics like Thomas who suddenly have their spiritual eyes open. And though we don't see Jesus physically in the way that Thomas did, we see Jesus as Lord. That's still happening. Lord, let it happen more. And it happens because of the witness of these spirit-empowered disciples so a few weeks after these events, this group, and a slightly bigger, 120 of them in that room in Jerusalem, still locked away. The Holy Spirit falls on them, empowers them. They go out into the streets of Jerusalem. Peter stands up and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. 3,000 turn, turn in faith to Jesus. And the Christian church suddenly explodes as the message of Jesus Christ goes to the world. That is still happening. The spirit-empowered witness of those first disciples still echoes down through the centuries. And we in this room are the fruit of that spirit-empowered witness. And we are called as well as disciples to go in spirit-empowered witness to the resurrected Savior. We've turned, we've believed, and we've been blessed and so will others. And so this morning, let's turn to Jesus again. 
It might be that actually you haven't made that turn yet. It might be that you're still in the place of Thomas, skeptical. It might be that you're in the place of, of the disciples, not sure what's going on. It might be that you're in the place of Mary, afraid, fearful, upset. But what you need to do is turn to the Savior, turn to Jesus. Allow him to bring you into an experience of resurrection life. Most of us in this room have made that turn. But we need to turn again and look at the Savior. Receive his peace. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Feel fresh commission to go to the world. And fall on our knees like Thomas. And with joy and awe and reverence, say, my Lord and my God. Amen? Let's stand together and pray and worship. Lord Jesus, thank you that this Sunday, this Resurrection Day, we get to come together to be in your presence, to know, yes, you standing amongst us, ministering to us, speaking to us, calling us again. And I pray that each one of us would turn to you. Lord, I ask that whatever it is we need today, we'd receive, whether it's, if it's a sense of peace in the troubled time of our lives, in the troubled worlds, Lord, would you breathe your peace Shalom on us, Lord. If it's, yeah, we, need, we all, Lord, all of us need to know more of the empowering presence of God. We need to know what it is to receive the Holy Spirit afresh, to be empowered and equipped for what you've called us to. And Lord, we know you have commissioned us. And I pray that we would faithfully go with the message of the gospel, the message of forgiveness that is ours in Christ. Lord, thank you for the wonder of your resurrection. Thank, thank you that means everything has changed. Thank you that means that yeah, our lives and not just dust returning to dust, that we have this glorious hope of resurrection life in you. Lord, thank you for this Advent message, this Sunday message, this Easter message, this Christmas message, this glorious message. Lord, keep us, let us keep turning to you as the world would, all the distractions of the world would want to pull our gaze away. I pray that we'd keep turning back, keep turning back, seeing you, our wonderful Lord, our wonderful God, Jesus our resurrected Savior. Hallelujah. We worship you. Amen.